if you can represent the best candidate, you can give them honest advice because you're not competing with them being placed by your competitor. You're saying, I truly believe company ABC, while not as high profile as company F, has got what you're looking for. Talk to them. You're listening to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby, and I am so excited because this is the first episode of what will be a weekly podcast. And to launch the show, I've invited my friend and mentor, Greg Savage. Greg is one of the most highly respected voices across the global recruitment industry, speaking regularly to audiences around the world. In 2018, he was named one of LinkedIn's top voices. Greg is an early adopter of social media for recruiting, and his blog, The Savage Truth, is a must-read for all recruiters. Check it out at www.gregsavage.com.au. Today, I'll be talking to Greg about artificial intelligence, sophisticated sales, and the secrets of social selling. Greg will also share his insights on the future of the recruitment industry and how we recruiters must evolve in order to stay relevant. So Greg, why in the heck would you take all the time and effort to write a book? That's a good question, and I avoided doing it for a number of years, Mark. I, I really thought, you know, it's hard work, and, and really, to be honest with you, I thought, who cares, would anyone read it? But a couple of people have been prompting me and challenging me to write it. One guy even said, I owed it to the recruitment industry because my career straddles so much of its history in this country. Started in January 1980, you know, 16 years before the internet, so he had a point. And then a publisher came to a speech I gave on leadership and she said, you should write a book. And then I, that probably made me think more seriously about it because now an authority was saying somebody might read it. In the end, it was more a case of wanting to do it as a legacy. You know, it's like 40 years I've been doing this and clearly my career is more behind me than in front of me. I have had some pretty cool experiences. I've made a wide variety of cock-ups and mistakes, which are interesting in the fact that they've taught me things that I've learned. And I've got a few things right. And um, we've got a lot of anecdotes and stories, recessions, mergers, sales, startups, people. And I thought, you know what? It'd be quite nice that it's written there. I really want a lot of people to read it. But if they don't, I've written it down. And if somebody wants to have a look, there it is. So that's why I did it. And then I got a shock how much hard work it was. <laughs> wow. I can only imagine. So the book is called The Savage Truth, Lessons on Leadership, Business and Life in 40 Years in Recruitment. So the book will be available from late October, and you can pre-order your copy at www.gregsavage.com.au. That's right. Did and I get it right? Tab. There's a tab Perfect. there for the book, and uh, you can buy it. Uh, there's four platforms, you know, including Amazon and what have you. The one in Australia is, is, is called Booktopia, but you'll find what the best one is for you when you go there. Okay, awesome. And listen, to celebrate the launch of the Resilient Recruiter podcast, I have pre-ordered 25 copies and Greg has very kindly agreed to sign them. And we'll be giving away five copies a week for the next five weeks. So if you want to be one of the lucky people who receives one, then you can find out how to do that at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash podcast. So Greg, why do recruiters need to evolve and what will the recruiter job look like in the future? That's the million dollar question that everyone's asking. And if you try to be Nostradamus and predict the future, you can make a fool of yourself, which I've done many times. But it's also true to say, and I'll relate it to my book, because that book straddles 40 years of change. Can you imagine what the world was like when I started recruiting? Do you know what was on my desk when I started recruiting, Mark? Have a guess. There were three things. All right. I'm going to say telephone. Yes. Rolodex. No, but uh, that was yep. in the drawer. Okay. Um, I don't know. Okay. Tell me. It, it was a telephone, a pad of paper, and an ashtray because, <laughs> because it was a different time, Mark, and everyone smoked everywhere. And of course, you're right. There was a big file of, of hard copy files, and it was 16 years before the internet. It was six years before the fax machine. Now, the reason I just tell that anecdote is, can you imagine the change that I've seen in the recruitment? I mean, yes. The fax machine was like black magic the first time. If you wanted to get a resume to a client from 1980 to 1985, you posted it, unless you could get your boss to pay for a motorbike. So we came very good at selling people over the phone, which is a skill lost on many people these days. But then the, can you imagine after that, you know, the internet, job boards, mobile phones. I mean, I worked in London in the 80s, and we were placing five, six people a week each. But if you interviewed a candidate at 9 o'clock in the morning and a job came in at 10 o'clock, you couldn't get hold of her. 
until 8 o'clock at night. If she decided to go home that night, who knew what she was doing, you left a message with her sort of ganja-smoking flatmate, and the message never got through to her. So, you know, it was a completely different world, let, let alone social media, let alone ATS, let alone all the things that had happened. Now, all those changes, Mark, I am coming around to answer your question, have changed the job of the recruiter, but nothing's going to change the job of the recruiter as substantially as artificial intelligence, machine learning, and automation. And here's the thing. We should embrace it, not shy away from it. It's not going to replace our job, I don't believe, but it will evolve it. And what will happen is automation, I'm just going to use that word to encompass all those things I said. Automation will take away the drudgery from the recruiter, and it will take away, if you're interested, I can tell you what areas, that I think it will do that. Broad strokes, it will take away the drudgery, and it will free up the recruiter to do that part of the job that a human being does better than machines. And that part of the job, Mark, is selling. But selling, I use that word not as in a hardcore selling, cold calling, door knocking, spamming people type of selling. For me, selling means influencing. It means advising. It means consulting. It means creating outcomes. It means acting as an agent for the candidate. It means developing solutions. That's what it means listening, asking smart questions. And the irony is, that because of the emergence of digital over the last so many years, many recruiters have had the job and allowed the job to be dumbed down to where all they can do is be keyword spamming, bloody commoditized, and they're not actually very good at any of the things that I've spoken about. They are in trouble unless they change. So our industry is not in trouble. In fact, it's doing better than ever before. Our industry is worth $500 billion worldwide. It's growing across the world. It's up in Australia, despite Brexit and all the other cock-ups going on in the UK. It's fine. Industry is not dying, but recruiters will be replaced if they don't develop the skills that have value to our customer. That's the point. And there's many things that recruiters are doing in London today and in Sydney today that are completely without value and can be done by machines better. So that's the future in, at high level, but we can dig into it if you would like to. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned artificial intelligence is going to change and reinvent the recruiter role. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? When we talk about artificial intelligence, a lot of people say, hey, look, it's not working properly. Chatbots are hopeless. And, and look what happened with, the, who was it? Amazon, I think, where, or somebody, where they, um, they found that the, that the artificial intelligence had learnt discrimination, right, and was discriminating against female candidates. And so they had to throw it all out. And so a lot of people are saying, are clinging on to that, saying it's not going to work. Well, I remind you that when the first aeroplane flew, what was it, 90 years ago, whatever it was, it flew 100 meters and crashed. And I'm quite sure at that time everyone said, or a lot of people said, that that's a load of old bollocks, it won't work. Well, of course, it changed travel, as many inventions have. So with artificial intelligence, understand we're at the beginning of automation and people are experimenting. But right now, right now, there are companies using it. for. So, so I think these are the parts of the job I think artificial intelligence will impact. Sourcing, right? So sourcing, if you define sourcing as finding people through digital tools, an algorithm will do that better than even the best sources. However, this is the important part. Finding somebody is not the same as recruiting them. So finding somebody, a machine can do better than us. You can enter an algorithm and look for a UX designer in, in Sydney. It'll come up with, it'll search LinkedIn, Facebook, all the rest of them, come up with a list of people better than a, a human being. But reaching out to them and interesting them in a role is a human skill. Now, most recruiters do not have that skill. So sourcing will change. Screening, of course. Screening through chatbots, which is, I know people, I actually think chatbots are a good thing because chatbots do something that, if you stop someone in the street, Mark, and you say, what's your biggest uh, criticism of recruiters? Sadly, it'll be a long list. But one of the things they'll say, I can never get to speak to them. Well, a chatbot is always there. I, I can apply for a job or find out about a job via a chatbot if it's a good one. 10 o'clock at night with a beer in my hand, and I can find out, oh, it's paying this, it's, it's situated in, in London, It's um, I've got to have a, a degree or whatever it is, and it can help me decide whether to apply for it. And actually, it will reduce the flood of applications that recruiters get, which clog up their system, which stops recruiters from giving great service to candidates. So I think chatbots, screening, very sophisticated automated screening that's happening already. Some of it's even, I saw a piece of technology that one of my clients is using, She's video interviewing. Now, now listen to this. The person applies for the job. It invites them to answer some questions speaking into their camera. 
Now, by the way, a lot of people won't do that yet. But a lot of people wouldn't use ATMs when they first came out. You've got to remember this journey we're on. So it'll ask them questions and the AI will pick up the keywords in their answers and decide whether they are giving the right sorts of answers. It's not selecting them for the job, but it's taking 100 candidates and reducing it to 10. Recruiter comes in the morning and the best 10 candidates are available for him to or him or her to then interview. So so screening, uh, matching, of course, there is great AI and I'm on the advisory board of a company called JobAdder, which is an ATS. They're building AI in, which is building very sophisticated matching of candidates against jobs, saving the recruiter a huge amount of time. By the way, a little anecdote, and I know I'm ranting on, Mark, but I hope you're loving it. A little anecdote, one of my clients introduced a chatbot. It's a big company. It's actually a company I founded years ago. I've never done a day's work in it, but it, probably because of my lack of input, it's thrived. <laughs> They've got over 100 recruiters, and they get a 1,000 applications a week, and they use a chatbot. And here's the interesting thing. They give the candidate the choice. Do you want to speak to a human being or do you want to speak to a chatbot? More people ask to speak to the chatbot or interact with it. Wow, that's interesting. Initially, the chatbot's very unsophisticated, Mike. It just asks a few questions. The first question that it asks is, do you have a visa to work in this country? And if the answer is no, it says, we're really sorry. Here's some places you can go, but we can't help you. That's saving the recruiter from having that conversation. In many cases, the, the candidate, having spoken to the chatbot, when I say spoken to them, interacted with the chatbot, self-selects out. I was in a board meeting and the CEO of this company said, We've saved 250 hours of consultant time a week with the chatbot. And everyone sort of gave a round of applause. I completely destroyed the mood by saying, what are the consultants doing with that time? And everyone looked at each other. I said, well, that's the value of your chatbot. Because now we've got these recruiters with 250 hours. Let them speak to their candidates who are waiting by the phone. Let them go and visit clients. Let them do the things that are the human things that are going to add value to the process. So there's... There's logistics. I mean, this is not a client of mine, but I read this article of, of a recruitment process where engineers, they spoke to a chatbot. The chatbot asked them 10 questions. They could ask the chatbot 10 questions. The chatbot decided whether they should come in for interview. And then what it did, it synchronized their diaries and it set up the appointment. The candidate came in for interview without any human interaction. Thankfully, when they got in for the interview, they were interviewed by a human. But I guess what I'm saying to you is these are many, many parts of the role that automation, AI, machine learning, all these words have clear definitions that most people, probably including me a little bit, don't fully use correctly. But let's say automation will take away from the recruiter a huge part of their job. So just to wrap this up, and I'll throw it over to you because you've got to keep me on track. All over this city today and all over your city today, recruiters will spend an entire afternoon, sometimes an entire day, screening candidates off job boards. They will take call after call, and a tiny percentage of those candidates will be suitable. But that recruiter will go home feeling they've had a busy, productive day. They haven't. There are recruiters across the world today getting trained to get better and better at things marked they should not be doing at all. And they should be trained on other things that have far more value and which clients will pay us for in the future. Okay, well, I definitely want to find out more about that. What are the things recruiters should not be doing and what are the things they should be doing instead? So you've got to go back to my premise that we have got to become expert at the things that only we can do. And we shouldn't try to do things that machines can do better. If there are any owners of recruitment companies listening to this, you've got to show leadership by driving the technology and freeing up your recruiters to do the things that have real value. Because if you don't do that, your recruiters will compete with technology on things technology can do better. And that is dumb business and you'll lose. You know, there are people in London today, and I mentioned London because to my mind, London is the most commoditized transactional recruitment market I know. That's not to say all recruiters behave like that, not at all. There's magnificent recruiters in London, many of them clients of mine, many of them friends of mine. But there are also lots of recruiters in London who never speak to a client or a candidate or meet them or even speak to them. So the way it works is so-called clients, and I use that phrase in inverted commas, will put uh, jobs up on a portal. They'll bid for those jobs. They'll scrape candidates off, uh, off job boards and other banks of jobs and they'll put them up to those jobs. They'll never meet the candidate, never meet the client. And it becomes a, a race to the bottom where, where price and speed are the only things that count. And if they're the only things that count, you'll get beaten by technology. So the answer to your question specifically is writing endless ads to put up on job boards. The default action, I've got nothing against job boards, but even the job boards admit their model is dying and they're creating other businesses out of them. 
writing endless ads and, and spending hours perfecting ads and then spending the whole afternoon screening out candidates of which a tiny fraction are appropriate for the jobs you've got. And not only that, by definition, a candidate that comes to you by, from a job board, by definition, is going to be speaking to other recruiters and applying for jobs direct, which means if you use one juicy candidate out of the 100 that you screen, is actually already dealing with three other recruiters applying for jobs direct and talking to their mates in the pub about jobs, you actually have an exponentially tiny chance of placing them. So it's far better, or recruiters spending hours on LinkedIn, trawling around, then sending bland, inappropriate emails to people who never reply. Why are we doing all this stuff? I'm not saying those things should be stopped completely, but they should only be a small part. I mean, after all, you're in Edinburgh, right, Mark? Are you today? If you were a recruiter in Edinburgh, you would have LinkedIn and you would have job boards to hire people for your jobs in Edinburgh. Well, I've got LinkedIn and I've got job boards. I could then compete with you from Sydney. You're not doing anything differentiated if you're just using those two tools. Doing hundreds of cold calls, right, which has been the mantra of the recruitment industry for God knows how long, and actually speaking to 90, you know, 100 cold calls, 99 or two a voicemail, which never gets repeated. Why are we doing that? Why aren't we training our recruiters to build their ability in social selling? Why aren't we teaching people to understand that a candidate, the definition of a candidate, Mark, for so many recruiters is somebody who applies for a job. That is not the definition of a candidate. The definition of a candidate is somebody who has the skills for your jobs. We shouldn't even talk about active or passive anymore. It's a spectrum. The difference between an active candidate and a passive candidate is just a question of timing. Everyone's going to move. At some point, just about, you can almost make that. And the skill of a great recruiter needs to have the ability to connect with people before they move because your most placeable candidate, the candidate has value in the eyes of your client, is the candidate that wants to move, has decided to move, but has done nothing about it, and you represent them in the marketplace. That's the nirvana. So we need to teach people how to do those sorts of things. Is this making sense to you, Mark? Yeah, absolutely. Now, I'm going to assume that a large part of my audience are more sophisticated than the sort of picture you've painted of the transactional recruiter. And they've already recognized that those methods are not going to differentiate them. They're not adding sufficient value. They're not unearthing unique talent. And therefore, the client is not interested in working with them on that basis. You know, in fact, a lot of my clients tell me, look, we don't even use job boards anymore. They maybe regard themselves as headhunters, that their job is to go out and engage, to use the word passive talent, and uh, seduce them and get them interested and so on. So what else do the recruiters of the future need to get good at in order to really distinguish themselves? And let me just give you a little bit more context for this, Greg. Most of my audience are agency recruiters. So tend to be small and medium-sized businesses. So the founders and CEOs of, of, of small recruitment companies. And they're telling me that the biggest roadblock or impediment to them making more placements is not how saturated the market is, although it is saturated with other recruiters, that is. It's the trend of clients building their own internal talent acquisition teams and becoming more and more sophisticated themselves in recruiting. And then the jobs that typically the, the agency recruiter gets are the most difficult ones that the internal recruiters haven't been able to fill already, but that ground has already thoroughly been gone over. And then the agency recruiter gets the toughest assignment. So is there a solution to that? And, and if so, what do we need to do in order to uh, still be relevant yeah. in the future? So as with most things in life, there's never a simple uh, sort of switch you can flick that's going to solve that problem. But the first thing I would say is, this is going to sound a little flippant and I don't mean it to be. We need to sometimes examine what the definition of a good client is. And what I mean by that is the big companies that do a lot of the hiring and therefore have sophisticated internal teams, may not be the target you should be looking at. We should maybe look more closely at smaller, up-and-coming companies, hiring in a growth phase, but who don't have the sophisticated internal teams. It's a kind of obvious thing to say, but I still see people hunting the elephant all the time, and um, by that I mean the big employers. I'm not saying you should ignore them, 
I believe they're going to continue to invest in internal teams and technology. That's one thing. The other thing is we do have one advantage, one big advantage if we play our cards right and behave appropriately over internal teams. We can act as an honest broker. We can act as an agent for a candidate. And an internal team cannot because they are representing one employer and they're not likely to say, look, we think you're great, but we think you should go and look at our competitor. So a good recruiter will do, and will have the, to use an old-fashioned word, the headhunting skills, if you like, uh, the outreach skills, the ability to approach people. But just remember that the best candidates in the most skills-tight markets are getting approached by a lot of people anyway. So it's hard to get to them and it's hard to attract their attention. What we haven't spoken about, which is an important part of this, is for good recruiters to build their brand through content and to act as a mini digital marketing agency in themselves, to build up a social selling capability, to connect with people at another level and take a long-term view so that they can, yes, with headhunting, and, you know, and you're quite right, there's a lot of people who don't use job boards, etc. There are a lot that do, trust me, especially in this country. And headhunting or re- outreach is important and that will work. But so will building a brand in a niche where you, you, you differentiate yourself by being a thought leader, having something to say, and engaging with people online and converting that into an offline conversation. That will allow you to speak with people, and in many cases, you will speak with them way before they're ready to move. But this is the important thing. We have to take a view that a candidate might be a long seduction. We might have a coffee with them in January and another one in November. They only want to move the following March. And you might say, I can't wait that long. But my answer to that is, you're still going to be a recruiter, aren't you? You're still going to want candidates. So, you know, you've got to plant the seed literally for the future fruit bear. Some sort of strangled metaphor there. And when that person that you build up a rapport with does eventually say, hey, you know what? It's time. You can act as their agent, just as a football player or a film star has an agent. And maybe that's a bad analogy, but they're represented by one agent who will strike the best deal for them. And I know that's got some negative connotations because it's got connotations of greed and people earning too much money and what have you. And I don't, you know, show me the money type of thing, but I don't mean that. But I mean, if you can represent the best candidate, you can give them honest advice because you're not competing with them being placed by your competitor. You're saying, I truly believe company ABC, while not as high profile as company F, has got what you're looking for. Talk to them. Look at company F2. I'll see if I can get you an interview there too. Here's another option for you that you hadn't thought about. It's on the other side of town, but they've got... That's where the recruiter can add real value. And of course, that's what a machine cannot do. So there's no simple answer, but it's the sophisticated, you know, we're calling this, speaking to her that, we're calling it, you know, the, the skills of the sophisticated sales person, the sophisticated recruiter, because selling must not be this hardcore door knocking, spamming. I guess it is selling, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about advising, consulting, influencing, creating outcomes. And we need to, on the, to answer your question, I'll sum it up, and I know I've, I've come at it from a number of angles. We need to look for clients who do value our ability to find candidates. But if you don't have the ability to find candidates that your competitors, and in particularly the clients themselves can't find, then you will become obsolete. For many years, we've been able to make a living as a recruiter just by being fast. That's not what the value is. It's expected that we're going to be fast and we're going to be uh, good value price-wise. But our ability, we must come up with something different, and that is going to be the ability to find candidates that others can't and to manage the process and bring them to the hiring table. Those are the skills that are going to have value. I mean, we're not screeners and referrers of resumes. We have to actually own the candidate's job search, which is a totally different sophistication level than most recruiters have. I love it. Thank you, Greg. Listen, more coming up before I ask a next question. Let me give you guys a special offer. Greg's sharing a ton of valuable info here, lots of insights, and there will be a summary in the show notes. So you can find that at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash podcast. But I've got something extra special for you today. My team and I are putting together a one to two page cheat sheet or tip sheet. I haven't decided what we're actually going to call it yet. Are the key points that Greg has presented today. So you've got a concise summary of those key insights. And we're also going to give you the full transcript of the interview. So to receive these bonuses, all you need to do is subscribe for free to my blog and podcast at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash podcast. You'll get notified when we release new episodes and you'll also have access to the transcripts and the tip sheets for each episode. 
So, Greg, you've mentioned branding, you've mentioned digital, you've mentioned social selling. Those three, those things are all tied together. That is quite an overwhelming thought for people, especially small businesses. And they think, well, I don't have time to be a full-time marketer. So I think a lot of people are waking up to this and realizing the importance of digital, the importance of, of brand and, and being a thought leader, being perceived as, a, as an expert within their market niche. And of course, they could hire a digital agency perhaps to, to help with that. But if they're going to do it in-house, what are the most important, like where should they start? What are the most important things they should be looking at? I'm glad you asked that question because it's what a lot of people grapple with. And you actually asked several questions in one. So let me try and tackle it. First of all, for a recruitment company owner, you know, a company of 10, 15 people, even less. I'll go as fast to say this. If your company has six people, your next hire should be an internal digital marketer. You don't need a high level strategy person who's going to want to tell you that you need to have ads on TV or something. You can get the strategy from somebody who knows what they're talking about. And I used to do this, but then it got tedious. So I don't do it anymore. To help people develop their digital marketing strategy. I'm not, I'm not a digital marketer, but I know what works because we did this with Firebrand all those years ago and I've done it with people to people. You can look at a company called Consult, look at their online stuff, uh, look at people to people, look at Firebrand even today. These are companies in this part of the world, but they are very, very good at, at digital marketing. And what you want is an implementer. You know, you want a graduate in the discipline, two or three years experience who will implement the strategy. And that strategy today is not the day, but it will include your LinkedIn content strategy and your other social assets. And you only need to have social assets where your audience lives. So, for example, if you place accountants in jobs, you don't really need to be on Twitter because as far as I'm aware, accountants don't hang out there much. But if you're placing marketing people in jobs, you probably do need a very good Twitter strategy. I was giving a, a digital strategy to a company and the company specialized in vets and veterinary nurses. Can you believe it? Six offices around the country. And there were three owners. And I did my research and I said, I'm very surprised, guys, that none of you are on LinkedIn. I don't know any recruiters that are not on LinkedIn. And the CEO looked at me and he said, oh, that's because vets are not on LinkedIn. So I said, oh, that makes sense. No, I understand. And then I said, hold on. at my laptop. I said, what's the name of the Australian Society of Veterinary Surgeons? And he said, it's called the Australian Society of Veterinary Surgeons. So I said, good. I entered that in LinkedIn and 10,323 names came up. And I said to him, how many registered vets are there in Australia? But this time his face had gone white. He said there's 10,800. So his entire audience was on LinkedIn. But they made the assumption they weren't. Assumptions is what kills you in recruitment and in life, and, and that was one of them. So you develop your strategy, which will be around content, around the website. There will be some automated marketing in there. There might be an SEO part of that. And you need somebody to help with the strategy. It doesn't have to be high level and highfalutin or very expensive, but then you need an implementer. And then you create your company's digital marketing strategy. But here's the important part. You then bring your recruiters on the journey with you because your recruiters will amplify your brand. I was talking to someone today and they're spending a lot of money on a digital marketing strategy to grow the company brand. I said, how many LinkedIn followers have you got on your company page? They said 2,000. I said, how many recruiters have you got? I said 30. So how many LinkedIn connections do they each have? Average of 5,000. Well, what? Five times 30 is what? 150,000 or whatever people in the audience that we could reach through the recruiters. So you have to bring the recruiters on the journey and train them, provide them content and teach them how to come up with their own insights because the content, you know, there's so much content out there. How do you cut through? The content you really want is stuff that's interesting to your audience. That's first of all. And secondly is authentic. So I said to this one person, one young recruiter said, I've got nothing to say, she said. I said, I bet you have. She said, Greg, I've got two years experience. What am I going to put on LinkedIn as, a, as an insight? That sounds scary. I said, what's the biggest issue you've got with your clients? She said, oh, that's easy. They're desperate for talent, but they're taking too long to make decisions. And they're missing out on the best people. I said, bang, that's your insight. She looked at me, said, that, put that on LinkedIn. So she compiled two paragraphs. She put it on LinkedIn. It flew. So... That's the sort of stuff. Now, that's got to be within the context. So if you can build a digital marketing strategy, which is a very big word for just simply a content marketing strategy, mostly, you've got to get your website right. You've got to have your SEO right and those things. But just content marketing around social, interacting with your candidates and your clients, you bring your recruiters in as amplifiers of that to grow their own brand. And a lot of recruiters owners say to me, I don't want my recruiters to grow their brand because then when they leave, they take it with them. Well, so do it and keep them working for you. You can't have a strategy that says, I won't teach my people because then they might leave. 
I mean, that is the dumbest thing. You want them to be so good and so grateful, that's not going to keep them there either. What's going to keep them there is consistent learning and success. So you, if you hold them back they'll, and they're only good, they'll go somewhere else. So th- that is how I'd start. I'd, 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 develop, I'd get someone who knows what they're talking And I wouldn't go to a digital marketing agency who didn't have experience in recruitment. I'd rather find somebody, and I don't know who they are in the UK, there must be people, who actually have done this and can say, these are the 10 things. There are people, there's... Greg, if I may suggest, I'd put my own name in the hat here because this is something I have studied intensively and implemented for the last decade. In fact, the recession almost killed my business in, in 2008. And what saved me when my back was against the wall was learning and executing digital marketing and, and primarily content marketing. These days, I spend a lot of my time working with owners of small recruiting firms, helping them to create their digital marketing strategy. I don't implement. They still need the implementer. But whether that's an internal hire or whether they, they hire someone overseas even, they can, you can get some very, very good implementers based remotely as well. Absolutely. So there's one person that the listeners of this would go to, and it it works perfectly. If Mark understands digital marketing, which he clearly does for agencies and can give you the strategy, then you have an implementer and you bring the the recruiters on the journey. A couple of warnings I'd give you is you have to take a long-term view. You're not going to get a return on this, and this is what turns so many people off. They know if they put an ad on a job board, they're going to have an inbox full of candidates. And even though they're crappy candidates, keeping them busy, and it's a very bad mistake. With a digital marketing strategy, it's like getting fit. You can't go to the gym six times in a month and then say, now I'm done. You are on a journey which is if you're going to be fit, you're going to the gym for the rest of your life. And it's going to take months to see the return. But when they come, the returns are real and significant. So definitely an implementer. Yes, there are good outsourced options. I like the internal resource because we like to then look at that person and say they're costing us $60,000 or whatever it is. We need to get the benefit of them. And they can be on hand to make sure the recruiters stay focused. Now, you asked a question early on that I want to address. A lot of owners would be daunted by this, and I hope we've addressed it in that they get the help of a strategist, which could be Mark. They invest in an implementer. They take a long-term view. They measure it. They bring their consultants into the tent and teach them. And then they amplify that through their consultants as well as the company. It's the short version. And I think if you've got an eight, 10 person company, you can do that because you'll be reducing your expenditure over time on job boards and other things that are not working. It's exactly the kind of thinking I'm talking about when I say we need to evolve how we spend our time and what our consultants do. But the other thing that you alluded to is, hey, how can a busy consultant be even thinking about becoming a, everyone's going to be a little digital marketing agency. That's my kind of, spark to get people thinking. I really only want them to spend 25 minutes a day on their content and digital marketing strategy, but every day. And I'm not asking recruiters to work 25 minutes more than they used to. I want them to stop doing some of the things they were doing and invest in status updates on LinkedIn, engaging with people, reaching out to people, being, you know, this real secret, I'll tell you the real secret for nothing about social media. Everyone goes on social media for business thinking what they can get. You need to go on social media thinking about what you can give. The secret about social media is, apart from great content, is generosity. And by that, I mean putting out good content, sharing, connecting people, answering questions, even if a person can't help you, being kind, being polite, all the things that are not very common on social media, will in fact build your brand and build you fans and create inbound inquiries. And trust me, I know, seven years I've been an advisor of the industry, and and it's in that seven years that I've really built a, a pretty substantial online presence. I'm going to the UK next week. We're speaking in Glasgow, Manchester, and London. I'm going to be there in Glasgow. I'll see you there. Brilliant. Apart from Glasgow, I think we've got about 50 people, which may not be bad for Glasgow. The others are absolutely packed out. How is that possible? Who am I? I'm an unemployed recruiter sitting here in Sydney in my own. I don't even have an office. But people come because I have an online presence with content over years that they've come to enjoy, I hope, and that's why they turn up. And then I, you know, hopefully that I don't disappoint them. But that's taken years of effort. And I've done it all over the world. I'm not big noting myself. It's not special. It's just been consistent content and engagement. And I've taught that to recruiters in their marketplaces and it's changed their world. If they can do the consistency and take a longer term view. So that's how I think it, it works. And our industry, you know, Mark, any, any criticism I make of our industry, I can make because I am only of this industry. I've, I've never worked anywhere else. Right? But one of the criticisms of the make of our industry, and it, I can level it at myself, although I've improved, is we take 
a short-term view and we don't think strategically. And we need to do that when it comes to things like addressing the issue of how am I going to get candidates that my internal people can't find? Well, we can't scrape around on the same places they're scraping around, which is LinkedIn and job boards. Plus, they're building up a database of their own and they've got a bigger, more money to spend on brand and they've got things we don't have. Well, we can build a brand as an honest broker, a third party, an independent agent, and we need to do that on social. Fantastic. Great, great answer. By the way, I just want to recap and reflect some of what you've been saying, um, which I think is is gold. and, And thank you so much for taking the time to share today. Consistency was a word you used several times, and I I agree 100%. My methodology is called the impact method, and I'm I'm a big believer in making an impact in the world. That's something that's important to me. It sounds corny, but I think recruiters have an opportunity. We don't always take it, but we do have an opportunity to have a positive difference in people's lives. And the more people that you can have an impact on, a positive impact, I, I think that's an amazing opportunity that we should embrace. Mark, do you mind if I jump in on that? Because I so much support what you've just said. And, you know, I think our industry has got beaten down by the stuff we read about ourselves. There's so much criticism of our industry. Some of it's well-deserved. I'm aware of that. I'm 61 years old and I've got friends similar age and they're lawyers and they're bankers. And when they've had too much to drink, they take the mickey out of me and they say, are you still working in recruitment? That's a Mickey Mouse industry full of cowboys. And I say to them, mate, you're a lawyer. You defend (laughs) criminals for a living. And you, mate, you're a banker. You probably are a criminal as far as I know. And what do I do? I find people jobs and help companies grow. We do a good thing. We should be proud of it. We do a good thing. And when our job's done well, it's a win-win-win for all parties. Now, I know there are recruiters who take shortcuts and who upset people and do the wrong thing. Um, but don't tell me there's not bankers, lawyers, and every other profession that also have their, their people who spoil it. And I just sometimes think that our industry goes into meetings feeling a little bit beaten. And they approach the job feeling devalued because that's all we hear. And it is time that we suddenly said, you know what? We do a good thing and we do it well and we play a part. So I completely endorse what you said there. So I'll just jump in if you don't mind me sort of sharing my perspective on that. Not at all. Not at all. That's brilliant. Thank you. So impact is a word I've chosen that's important to me for, for the reasons we just, we just said. And it stands for inbound leads, marketing automation, P is partnership, and that's the way working with clients in a collaborative relationship rather than transactional one, where you are genuinely seen as a, as a partner. And people, that's an overused word, but I, I still like it because there's a level of trust. There's a level of commitment on both sides there. And so in terms of deciding which companies we want to work with, I think that's impo- an important thing we should select for. And then A is authority. So becoming a, a thought leader, becoming a brand, becoming a recognized, someone who adds value to the ecosystem that they are recruiting for rather than just is fulfilling that negative impression of clients and candidates that we're somehow a parasitic uh, entity on their industry. We need to be part of that ecosystem and and an active a voice and a contributor in that in that ecosystem. So that's the A. The C is consistent content. And the consistent part is is key for the reasons you just said earlier. And the T is team, whether that is you hire an implementer internally and you involve your whole team and or you use a, an offshore resource or a combination of those things. It has to be a team effort that everyone is is behind. So my last question is about social selling. It's a, it's a word that you mentioned earlier. It's a word that's bandied about and people have different interpretations of it. What does it mean to Greg Savage and what is a practical way that we can implement it? So to me, social selling is using social media to create conversations. It's actually a planned strategy to create conversations. You're not leaving it up to chance. And it's a slow burn, right? And so it's direct prospect interaction, but it's not hard sell. You provide value through content, first of all, but then it's targeted provocation of engagement. So, for example, there's a lot of things that you could do. You'd put out content, but you might even tag somebody that you think will be very interesting to them. That would be a little bit perhaps early in the piece, but perhaps you put out content and then somebody that you're trying to target like that piece of content, then you would respond to that and turn it into a conversation, which eventually could result in an in real life um, meeting of some kind. It warms up the sales process is how I see social selling. Through your content, through your engagement, it creates credibility because 
you're going to only put out content that's relevant to your audience. So they know, and it's not, you're not going to put out content about recruiting. You're not going to put out stuff about 10 tips for interviewing. You might put out a little bit of that, but mostly it's about content that's directly of interest to your target market. And through that, you build familiarity, you build authenticity and believability. And so the framework for it is, first of all, you've got to build an audience. So you can't go out social selling unless you have an audience on LinkedIn, perhaps, or Twitter, or Facebook, whatever it might be. You then need to pin down your prospects. You might actually say, I I want to interact with the uh, CFO or the CIO of these companies, and you put out content that you know is going to be appealing to them. And then you may, for example, comment on their status update, like their content. Now, you've got to be careful not to be stalky or overdo it. But if your content, if you're in the marketing field and your and your contact that you're trying to uh, eventually connect with has a blog, then a comment on that blog. You're the same, Mark. You write a blog. I write a blog. If someone comments on the blog, we look at that person. Who is this person? They must be very smart, you know. Or if they share your content on Twitter or they share your stuff on LinkedIn, it brings them to attention. So, so this is what you would do, a concerted effort. You wouldn't just do it with one person. You'd have a, you'd have a, a pool. You'd put out content and, and it will create inbounding cars, but you would actually target. And some people say to me, wow, isn't that a bit kind of direct? Well, you're making cold calls to people who don't want to hear from you. That's far more intrusive, far more direct then a gentle get to know you on social. And so then it leads to engagement. A good example would be on LinkedIn. I think people make a mistake by trying to connect with people on LinkedIn with just sending a LinkedIn uh, connection request. You need to find a trigger point like, I love the article I saw you put on XYZ. I saw you at a speech, etc. I noticed you work, used to work at the same company I worked at. Send a personalized note. I mean, I know this is like really old piece of advice, but I, I get 100 LinkedIn connections a week and 95 of them have no notes attached to it. So it's going to increase your chances if you do. So use a personalized invite. And then you might also, and don't do this on the same day, but you might also connect to them on whatever other social channels they have. So connect to them on Twitter. Mostly when a person gets a Twitter, if they've got their notification set, when they get a Twitter follower, it'll tell them. Now, if you've got 100,000 Twitter followers, you're probably not following that. But if you've got 50, you're going to go, oh, who's followed me on Twitter? And suddenly, just by that action, your prospect has noticed you. And then if they follow you back, you're going to thank them. Hey, thank you for following me on Twitter. It's really good to connect. Now you're having a conversation with someone that you a minute ago said was impossible to talk to. Even in that little interaction, you're social selling. And then you might subscribe to their blog. And I know a lot of contacts don't have a blog, but if they do, you would. And you follow their feed on LinkedIn and you look for their pain points. You're watching their feed on LinkedIn. You're understanding if they're active on what they're talking about. You know what industry they're in. And then you will share targeted content with them. Maybe to your community, but you might tag them if it's really relevant. Saw you yesterday talking about XYZ. Here's an interesting article on that. They may ignore you. They may thank you. And it starts a conversation. Eventually, over time, and it's a long, slow burn, you'll start to interact with people. The other thing that will happen is by putting out this targeted content, appropriate content to your audience. And remember, if you've got a lot of LinkedIn connections, your content ends up in their stream. If they share it or, or like it, it ends up, I think, in the, in their stream, which means their followers see it. And if you do that consistently, your name will become known. Who's that IT recruiter guy? Puts out interesting stuff. Literally what, what happens, but it might take a year or more before you get that kind of traction. And then when you approach somebody, you've got credibility. They've heard of you. They know you're along, not just some fly-by-night inverted commas, cowboy recruiter. This is the guy who puts out that interesting stuff and has engages in good conversations on, I better listen to what he's got to say. And so it's a slow, long burn, and it doesn't come to us naturally because we've got leaderboards, we've got monthly targets. There is no one in this world who has said these words, what are your fees for this month? More than me, okay? I am the guy who has said that to people a thousand times. I'm Mr. Short Term. What have you done for me today? I've run recruitment businesses for 35 years. But we learn and we evolve. And I still say that to people, but I also say, show me what's happening on your LinkedIn. Show me about your, what the blog that you've written because we need to evolve. So that's how I'd summarize social selling, Mark. Awesome. I think you're absolutely right in terms of taking a longer-term view on here. One of the big mistakes I see, I mean, not just recruiters, but especially recruiters making, is as soon as someone has accepted their connection request, bang, they jump in and start pitching. 
And it's a bit like asking someone to marry you on a first date. It's, it's so premature. And it's almost caused, I think, that acceptance rates for connection requests are declining over time. I still think it's definitely worth doing and, and growing your network, but the acceptance rates are declining. And the reason for that is because people are almost anticipating that if I accept this guy's connection request, he's going to start pitching me, you know, without even getting to know each other a little bit. So you definitely don't want to do that. Yeah, look, I completely agree with that. That happens to me a lot. By the way, just asking someone to marry you on the first date, well, it's worked for me with my first four wives. So I'm not completely <laughs> against that. <laughs> but you are, you're absolutely right that it, it annoys me no end when I connect with someone in the first and, and within seconds, there's a like, Hey, can I recruit for your company? And I'm like, well, A, no, but B, I don't actually have any data. How much research have you done? And it just puts you off. So I completely agree with you. And that's why I would recommend you can follow someone on Twitter uninvited because that's a different thing. You definitely must not try to connect with them on Facebook, their personal Facebook page. Team recruiters do that. And with LinkedIn, you might want to, as I said, find a really valid reason with a note. Loved your podcast. Loved what you said at that. Saw that article, whatever. And that's much more likely to get a connection, yes. Do you know what, Greg? I've actually tested this, and I'm not convinced that's the case. Oh, really? Explain. It's counterintuitive. I test everything, by the way, to see what will optimize the uh, the result. And for years, I've been sending personal connection requests to people. I've put some time and effort to think through. And just to not make assumptions, recently we've been testing sending the default message, no personalization in the connection request. And we've actually got a higher response. Now, it's too early to tell. That could be a fluke, right? It could be a, a complete fluke. It's only been about two weeks, but I'm not taking anything for granted. But certainly at some stage in the engagement, and maybe it's the follow-up message after they've connected, you want to start showing that you have done some homework, that you've, you're have you genuinely interested in that person, that you've read their blog or, or whatever the case. I, I agree 100%. Well, I um, would love to hear your feedback after you've tested that further. It's very counterintuitive and it's totally contrary to, I don't send out very many LinkedIn requests at all, but I get a lot. Yeah. And maybe I'm just a softie, but I've got pretty strict criteria because my world is recruiters, right? If it's a recruiter, a recruitment owner, a supplier to recruiters or a CEO of any, like a very senior person of any company, I'll accept it. But if it's not, even if they're interesting people, I probably won't. But if they've written a really nice note, I sometimes do. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm, probably, I'm probably the softie. No. Greg, you must have run out of connections by now. You have 300,000 followers on LinkedIn. Can you actually accept anymore? I think I've got 16,000 or 18,000 oh, connections, connections. Okay. But I've got 310,000 followers, which okay. is different, as you know. Yes, yes. Um, so I think I've got a bit of way to go on the connection front, but I think my career will wind up before my connections do. My okay. Connections count. Awesome. So... Listen, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and knowledge gained over 40 years in, in recruitment, Greg. It's a pleasure. You do know we've known each other since 2008, and I've interviewed you umpteen times, and every time you come up with new, fresh insights and ideas. So you're definitely doing a, a terrific job of helping other recruiters and our industry to evolve. Thank you, Mark. I have an advantage over many people, which is that I'm on the board of 14 recruitment and HR tech companies. And obviously, they pay me to be on their advisory boards to help them. But the truth is, I like to think I do. I learn every day from what these companies are doing. You know, They're in New Zealand, they're in Australia, they're in Singapore. So I'm constant and I'm in the UK quite often. I'm very, very privileged because I have the ear of so many people who, because I'm independent and because I've got a bit of a um, experience, want to share their ideas with me and I'm learning. All the time. I'm not, I don't for a minute say I'm at the cutting edge, but I get pitched an HR tech solution every week and I listen to them all. Um, most of them have got no chance in hell of succeeding, but it's educational and it keeps me constantly learning. So I have that advantage, which helps me a lot. I also can fall back on, you know, and, and, and I will wind up because I'm the consummate salesman with my book. It also is the history because there is a lot about our industry that repeats itself. What will happen if we have another recession? I've been through three times. You talk about 2008. That was a light bump compared to the one in 1992. Even though my book tells the story of 2008, you'll be fascinated. I was the CEO of Aquint International, which means everything outside America. That's how they word it. And our business had grown from 10 million in eight years to 100 million. 
I was beginning to believe my own PR. In that year, 2009, we dropped $50 million in gross profit in one year. Now, I can say this out loud because I actually asked Aquint, I've got a lot of friends there, and the CEO gave approval for me to talk about these numbers, and it's in the book. And I tell the story because I tell the story of the rise and the gigantic fall and how my business wasn't as strong as I thought. And I list all the reasons that. So now, one of the questions that I'm putting to all my boards, and they look at me and they go, why are you asking? I say, what would happen if our revenue dropped 50% in perm and 25% in temp overnight and stayed that way for two years? Would we survive? And everyone goes, why would you ask that question? Because it's going to happen. I don't know when. And I hope long time, but it will happen. You saw it. Your business nearly went bust. My business suffered. It was only because we were multinational and had support that we could turn it around. But I had to do so many painful things. And I wouldn't have had to do them if I'd been, if I'd taken my lessons from previous years and built the type of business that was able to thrive in the good time, Mark, but resilient in the downturn. Buy the Savage Truth book. It's extremely cheap for 40 years. It will save you from um, making the mistakes that I made. I can't wait to get my copy, Greg. So to find out about Greg's book, go to gregsavage.com.au and you can pre-order it. It'll be available end of October. And to find out how to win a signed copy from me that I've purchased for you, then go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash podcast. Greg, you mentioned Job Adder. Are there any other companies you're involved in that you want to give a shout out to today? I think Job Adder is one that um, is an ATS that is really innovative and trying. And, you know, they haven't got me involved to help them with strategic advice. They've got me in- involved, talk to their developers and product team about building building technology that improves the candidate experience and includes the client experience. So I love that they think that way. The other one that I'm very, uh, and, and, and a disclosure, I'm involved in as an advisor and also as a shareholder is uh, Video My Job, which is um, videoing ads, talking to camera, bringing to life a job and distributing it. And that's a business that I think is, I always like to look at what problems are this technology solving. And that's solving the problem of employer brand, cutting through the blandness of a, of a written ad. I also would like to say that I'm very, very serious when I said people should get a marketing resource on board and develop a plan, take a long-term view. And if that's the service you offer, Mark, then they should start with you because it's getting the strategy that is the harder part. The implementer is you can hire somebody to do that. And that implementer will only stay with your company two years because it's a stepping stone for them. You know, They'll do it for a couple of years and that's okay. You'll move on to something else. Perfect. And I've done that with you know 10 or 15 companies and it's worked very, very well. Thank you for having me on your podcast. I will be sending your copy, signed book to you, Mark, Gold Wrap. <laughs> Thank you, sir. I can't wait to read it. By the way, thanks for the referrals recently. Keep them coming. I sincerely appreciate it. Basically, my life is to keep you busy, Mark. That's what I like to do. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. Have an awesome day, and uh, I'll look forward to our next conversation. See you soon. Bye.